Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. On weekends, we do an archive show, and the one you're going to be listening to tonight was originally broadcast on March the 27th in 2011. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. All right, let's go. Welcome, welcome. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to my old-time radio show where we feature the shows from the last great days of radio. And you're not going to be disappointed tonight. We have some good shows. We have some very good shows. We have an episode of Tales of the Texas Ranger about a young man who deserts from the Army back in 1943 in a town in Texas. Jumps off a train. And then we have the 13th episode of the Million Dollar Curse on I Love a Mystery. We're going to follow that up with a horse race on Gunsmoke. So that's what we have lined up for tonight. For those of you who are expecting a weather report at the beginning of the show, as has become my custom, well, I'll just make you wait and you'll get it at the end of the show. But for those of you that live in California and Florida and Hawaii and all those other warm places who love to gloat, you won't be disappointed. Okay, we're going to get started with a really good shoe, a really good shoe in just a minute. Texas that I am going to see No other soldier knows her No soldier, only me She cried so when I left her It like to broke my heart And if I ever find her 
we never more will part. She's the sweetest rose of color the soldier ever knew. Her eyes are bright as diamonds, they sparkle like the dew. You may talk about your dearest May, sing of Rosalie, but the yellow rose of Texas is the only one for me. Tales of the Texas Rangers. Okay, what we have coming up right now is a Tales of the Texas Rangers. It was originally heard on the 6th of April, back in 1952. This is a pretty good one. It's got a good cast. Tony Barrett, Peter Leeds, Sam Edwards, Herb Ellis, and Jeanette Nolan. This one takes place in Humboldt, Texas, back about 1943. Sam Edwards really has a lead in this one. He's pretty good. He's a young man who deserts from the army just before going overseas to uh, to fight in World War II. When he deserts, he ends up getting in a little bit more trouble than he even expected. I think you're going to enjoy it. So here it comes. From 1952, April the 6th, here's Tales of the Texas Rangers. And the name of this episode is Troop Train. Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Another authentic reenactment of a case transcribed from the files of the Texas Rangers. and places in the following story are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. And now, from the files of the Texas Rangers, the case called Troop Train. It is 4.30 a.m. on the morning of January 6, 1943. About 12 miles east of Humboldt, Texas, an army troop train roars westward through the darkness. In the smoking room of one sleeping car, a burly private of 30 plays solitaire. His lone companion, a 19-year-old PFC, stares out of the window. What do you see out there in the dark, anyway? Texas? Well, take a good look. It'll be a long time. You live around here, don't you? About 40 miles south, Pinker, Texas. My mother had an operation a couple of days ago. Sure wished I could see her. Well, you got it bad, kid. Eh, never can beat this game. Ever been away from home before? We used to go to Beaumont to visit my grandmother. Never been out of Texas in my whole life. Eh, you ain't missed nothing. I've been as far as New Jersey. <laughs> you can have it, and this stinking army with it. Why are you always sounding off about the army? Maybe you found a home in it. 
Well, it's the only one we'll have for a mighty long time. Not me. I'm saying adios any minute now. Like I told you back at camp, I'm getting off this train before we get to that port. You, uh, you've been thinking about what I was telling you? Well, yeah, I guess I have. But I ain't skipping the outfit. Well, I am. No Jap's gonna shove a bayonet in my belly. How are you gonna get off the train? Well, we're starting up the cap rock. I can jump off easy any time the train slows down on one of these upgrades. Suppose you get caught. <laughs> I expect to be sooner or later. Don't you see it, kid? They catch me, give me a court-martial. I get six months or a year. That's better than a Jap bullet, ain't it? I don't know. You could go home and see your mother and wait for the MPs to bring you back. So you get six months. Or maybe you can volunteer for overseas duty and they forget the court-martial. Well, suppose they're waiting there before he even see my mother. They won't even know we're gone until they get to the POE. What do you say, Darcy? If I could get back to the outfit again... Better make up your mind. I'm taking off. You coming? Well, it's taking a big chance. Now just say yes or no. All right, I'm coming. Good deal. Now let's make it fast. Go on down the steps. Come on, jump! Hey, don't push! Uh, 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 Darcy? Uh, you all right? Uh, knocked all the wind out of me. Well, it won't uh, hurt you. Uh, Come on. We're in a pretty rugged country. We got a lot of walking to do. Uh, uh, sun's coming up. It's going to get hot pretty soon. Ah, uh, what's a little heat? As long as we're away from that chicken army. Well, how's it feel to be a free man, Darcy? I'm sorry I did it. Ah, what's eating you? No, I've been thinking. You got me in a lousy mess. Ah, for crying out loud, I did you a favor. You was on your way overseas. And I wished I still was. What's got into you anyway? It wasn't right to leave the other guys. It wasn't right. Now, why did you go? You want to see your mother, don't you? Yeah, I, I did. But not this way. You think I want her to find out I'd, I'd deserted? She was proud I was in the army. Well, all right, crybaby. Shut up! Who you telling to shut up? Now, you touch me, Leo, and I'll, I'll bust you with one of them rocks. Ah, now, look, kid, we're traveling together. Let's keep it peaceful, huh? Well, okay. Hey, hey, there's a road up ahead. Can you make out that sign on the fence? Uh, keep... Cattle gate closed, Matha Ranch. Say, maybe we can chow down with the hands. I'm giving myself up since we're at their ranch house. Oh, no, you're not. Look, I ain't listening to you no more. If I tell the army the truth, maybe they'll let me go back to the outfit. You ain't going nowhere except with me. No crybaby's going to ruin my plans. I don't care about your plans. I'm going back to the outfit. That's what you think. Let me go. You you can't stop me. I'll show you what I can't do. Oh, you dirty little... You can't stop me. I, I don't want to fight you no more, Benson. So don't start up again here. Now, come on. Get up and let's get going. Hey, Benson. Why don't you get up? Benson. Benson, what's, what's wrong with you? Holy cow. <laughs> Later that morning, the sheriff of Humboldt County was called to the Mather Ranch. Elderly Pete Mather had been severely beaten and his car stolen. 
The sheriff drove to the scene and immediately requested the aid of the Texas Rangers. Rangers Jace Pearson and Clay Morgan met the sheriff at the ranch at 11 a.m. After a brief talk with the sheriff, the rangers went into the bedroom to interview the victim. Sounds like somebody really worked the old man over. Yeah, I hope he can give us a lead on who did it. Mr. Mather? Yes? I'm Ranger Pearson. This is Ranger Morgan. You feel up to answering a few questions? Uh, Go ahead. Would you tell us exactly what happened? Well, I... I... Went to the barn and fixed some harness and heard something round back and went around to look. What was it, Mr. Mather? Well, a soldier trying to start my car. I, I got a thirty-two Rio. Parked it around there. It was He was trying to steal it. And what'd you do? Well, I yelled at him and told him to get out of there. And ran over to pull him out. He, he, he jumped out on me and knocked me around. I, I fell down and he kicked me here in, here in the head. What'd he look like? He, he had an army uniform on, blood on it. Face marked up like, like, like he's been fighting. Was he a big fellow, Mr. Mather? Well, he's better than average size, black hair. A Texas boy, way he talked. I'd known him again if I saw him. Remember anything about his uniform, shoulder patch, anything like that? A patch? Yeah, usually wear him just off the left shoulder. It tells what outfit he's with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember it was a, a kind of a, a kind of a bell and a, and a firecracker going crossways in, in front of it. It's the 903rd Infantry Division, Jason. Mm-hmm. Their camp's located over in the east part of the state. That narrows it down some. Yeah, could be any one of 15,000 men. We learned the 903rd Division had left their camp, and because of the troop movement, no man had been granted leave. The Army promised a quick check with the 903rd. The next morning at Ranger headquarters, I received a call from the adjutant general's office. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, what'd you find out, Jace? Plenty. Two soldiers went AWOL from the 903rd. One's Frank Dorsey and the other's Leo Benson. Both disappeared from a troop train on the Santa Fe somewhere in this general area. Well, we can break it down even further. Mr. Mather said the soldier was a Texan. They both are. Dorsey comes from Pinker, and Benson's hometown's Abilene. Pinker's only 40 miles from here. Maybe we'd better go over there first. Could be Dorsey wanted the car to get home. Let's go pay him a visit. We drove over to Pinker, Texas, and went to Dorsey's address. Turned out to be a small farmhouse about five miles north of town. No one seemed to be at home. Think he's in there playing possum? Could be. Let's go around. And wait a minute. Hmm. Car slowing down to turn in here. Yeah. Looks like a girl driving. She's alone. Dorsey could have ducked down the seat. No. Yeah, she's alone, all right. Hi. Can I help you, Rangers? You live here, miss? Yes, I do. Frank Dorsey, any kin to you? He's my brother. I'm Norma Dorsey. I'm Ranger Pearson. This is Ranger Morgan. Can you tell us where your brother is? Well, he's he's on his way overseas. Have you heard from him lately? Well, I... Miss Dorsey, has your brother been here? Oh, please, Ranger. Give the kid a break. He's in trouble, you know. If you could help us, you'd make it easier all the way around. Well, Frank was here. Came home yesterday. Poor kid looked terrible. He was tired and his uniform all messed up. He told me all about jumping off the train. Is he here now? No. I want you to know why he did it, though. Why he went AWOL. Even a good reason won't excuse him, miss. Oh, I want you to know anyway. You see, my, my mother's sick. 
And Frank went to the hospital to see her last night. He'll probably never see her again. Well, that's why Frank went to A.W.L. I'm sorry, Miss Dorsey, but we still have to pick him up. There'd be less trouble if you tell us where he is. All right. Frank's on his way to Dallas. I just saw him off on the 918 bus. Thank you. Come on, Clay. Well, he's going to turn himself in. Why can't you leave him alone? Because he didn't leave someone else alone. lady selling tickets at the bus station in Pinker told us Frank Dorsey got on a Continental bus to Dallas. We took off down the highway after it. Thirty minutes later, we spotted the bus. That's it, Jace. Up ahead. Flag him down when I pull alongside. Right. Hey! Hey, driver! Pull over and stop! The driver sure looks surprised. Probably thinks he's getting a ticket. I wonder what Dorsey did with the rancher's car. Well, abandoned it somewhere, I guess. We'll find out. Oh, you go on in, Jason. You got a passenger on here we want to talk to, driver. Only take a minute. About a half a dozen soldiers back there, Jason. Yeah, just look for the 903rd shoulder patch. Right. Hey, that must be him. You Frank Dorsey? Y- yes, sir. You better come with us. What for? We'll talk about that outside. Got any luggage with you, son? No, sir. Let's go. Thanks, driver. You can go now. I was trying to get back to the outfit, honestly. You're going the wrong way, son. Your outfit isn't in Dallas. Come on, get in. Yes, sir. I was going there to catch a plane for San Francisco. That's where the division went. I'm willing to go back to the outfit and face charges. We didn't pick you up for going AWOL. You know that. What for, then? For beating an old rancher half to death. An old rancher? No, I didn't. Where were you yesterday morning? Anywhere near the Mather Ranch? Well, yes, sir, I was. That's when Pete Mather was beaten up. How about it? Pete Mather? Look, Rangers, I jumped off a train and went home, but I didn't beat up any old man. No? How'd you get those bruises then? From jumping off the train. And you didn't steal Mather's car, I suppose? No. You know another soldier, a fellow named Leo Benson? Yes, sir, I know him. Did he jump off the train with you? No, sir. I, I was alone. And you're the one soldier from the 903rd who was close enough to the Mather Ranch to have done it. But I didn't. We think you did. Let's see what Pete Mather thinks. We got to the Mather Ranch a little after 12. I stayed with Dorsey in the car while Clay went in to get permission from the old man to bring the prisoner in. Clay came back and said Pete Mather was anxious to see if we really had his assailant. We took Frank Dorsey into the house. Let's go in the bedroom, Dorsey. Howdy, Mr. Mather. How are you feeling today? Oh, better, Ranger, better. That the fellow you want me to look at? Yes, sir. You ever seen him before? Bring him closer to the bed. I want to take a good look at him. Now, that's enough, Dorsey. Mister, you don't know me. Tell him you don't. How about it, Mr. Mather? Is this the soldier who beat you up? Looks like you made a mistake, Rangers. I've never seen this boy before in my whole life. Pete Mather insisted Frank Dorsey was not the man who'd attacked him. We left a few minutes later to drive Dorsey into town. We planned to leave him with the sheriff who would hold him for the army authorities. Sir, we brought you up here, Dorsey, but we thought it was you. It's the only way to find out. Yes, sir. Now, Chase, where does this leave us? Only one way I can see it. 
The other G.I. who jumped the train, Leo Benson. Must have been him. Why do you say that? The soldier who beat up Pete Mather was from your division. You and Benson, the only ones missing from the 903rd. He must have jumped right after you did. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I see. Benson's home address was Abilene, wasn't it, Jace? We'll head down there, huh? Yeah. As soon as we hand Dorsey over to the sheriff. Listen. I, I gotta tell you. What is it, Dorsey? I, I gotta tell someone. I, I couldn't sleep last night. I kept seeing him all night. I kept seeing him the way it happened. Seeing who? It, it wasn't Benson who beat up that old man. And you won't find him in Abilene. How do you know? I killed him. You did what? You say you killed Benson? It was an accident. He talked me into jumping off the train with him. After I did, I figured out what a big mistake I made. I wanted to turn myself in. He wouldn't let me, and, well, we got into a fight. He fell and hit his head on a rock. There was blood all over him. Where was this? Back of that old man's ranch, just off a little dirt road. Suppose you show us where. Stop by this cattle gate. It's through this gate and over that way. He's right over there on the other side of that brush. Pretty isolated place. No telling when the body would have been spotted. Uh, Buzzards would have found it pretty soon. Do I have to go with you? I'm getting sick to my stomach. You stay here with him, Clay. Okay. We started fighting just about there. You say you left him behind this brush? Yes, sir. Something wrong, Jason? Yeah. Blood on the rock, all right. There's no body. We took Frank Dorsey to the local jail. With the aid of the sheriff and his deputies, we searched the entire area. No trace of Benson was found. Ranger Morgan and I then drove to Abilene. Benson's address was a garage apartment in the rear of a large, run-down house. Up those steps, I guess. She ain't home! There's a woman at the back door of that house. What's that, ma'am? Well, if you're looking for Miss Benson, Ranger, she ain't here. Been gone a couple of days. Well, we wanted to see Mr. Benson. Is he here? Him? No, he's in the Army a long time now. You any kin to the Bensons? Heck no. Just rent him in our apartment. I live up here in the front house. And do you have a key to their place? We like to look around. Well, I'll show you where there is one. Right. Oh, I've got the miseries in my back. Something awful. Ain't hardly walk. What you want him for? Something bad? We just want to talk to him. Oh, that man's plumb no good. Running around the whole time I was here. Suppose now he's in the army. He's got the whole country to run around in. Yeah, she always keeps extra key under this mat. For the ice man. Oh, one of you boys better get it. My back's something fierce today. I'll get it. Say, Rangers, now I don't like to get in the way of the law or nothing like that, but you sure it's all right for me to let you in up there? I won't get in no trouble, will I? We brought a search warrant, ma'am. My, sure looks legal, don't it? Well, you boys better go on ahead. Take me some time to get up them stairs. All right, ma'am. Come on, Clay. If he isn't dead, he could have come home yesterday and taken off with his wife. Or else she might have gone out to pick him up somewhere. Well, there's still a chance he's up here hiding out. Yeah. Try again. Mm-hmm. 
knew she wasn't home. You to the key. Yes, ma'am. Take a look in that bedroom, Clay. I'll see what's in this closet here. Right. Jace, come here. What is it, Clay? There's nobody here, but take a look at this. Benson's uniform. Quite a bit of blood on it. He was here alive anyway. Dorsey would be glad to hear that. It's like they cleaned the place out. Did you check the closet? No, I'll get it now. Some clothes still in here. Say, can I come in there? Sure, ma'am. Well, them stairs will be the death of me. I ain't nearly as surprised. My bedding. Why'd she take my bedding? Maybe she sent it to the laundry. No. Linen belongs to me. I give her clean ones every Monday. Blankets are gone, too. I wonder why she took them. Well, for... A lot of clothes left in the closet, Jace. Didn't take everything. I'll check the kitchen. Okay. I want to look in this bureau. My, she sure keeps a sloppy house, don't she? That window there ain't been washed in a couple, three years, I bet. Mm, plenty of stuff in here. Hmm. Photo album. Oh, would you pick Benson's picture out for me, ma'am? Glad to. Yeah, that's him. And that wedding picture. Uh-huh. Oh, here's another one of him. Reckon that's cabin where they used to go. Yeah, there's more pictures of that cabin. Is that their car in this picture? Let me see. Uh-huh. They still got that. That's his wife next to him. Have you ever seen this man near the other car? Uh-uh. Never saw him before. Say, he sure caught a mess of fish, didn't he? The Bensons own that cabin? I don't rightly know. He never was very friendly. Have you any idea where it might be located? No idea at all. Find anything, Clay? Yeah, in a way. It's what I didn't find. They took all the food with them. Take a look at this photo album. Yeah, look here. Back here. This is Benson and his wife at a cabin. See there? Look at the year of the license plate on their car. 1939. Yeah, look here. Same cabin, same car, only the license is for 1940. Uh-huh. There's some more snaps taken there in 41. They kept going back there. Maybe they own it. Oh, no, they couldn't own it. Since they took all the food and bedding, seems logical they might have headed for a place like that. You know where it is? No. But the owner of that other car in the picture does. You can locate him through that license number. Might add up to something, might not. That's what we're going to find out. <laughs> Check the license number of the car in the picture. Belonged to a man named Harry Steelman. Steelman worked at a cotton compress in the edge of town. We went there. All right, you finished that line. Get moving on those bales at that end. Mr. Steelman? Yeah, hold on a minute, will you? Hey, Charlie, we haven't got all day. Get the lead out. What do you want, Reggie? We'd like to talk to you. All right, let's go back to the office. Come on, keep them bales moving out. Having nothing but trouble. Compress broke down. We lost four hours this morning. I'll never catch up with this, Ray. Uh, something I can do for you? We're looking for Leo Benson. Have you seen him? Leo? Not for six, eight months. He's in the Army. You heard from him lately? No, I haven't. Lost two of my best men to the Army in the past week. What new fellas I can get is slower than cold molasses. Are you and Benson good friends? Yeah, I've known him a long time. Used to get together every once in a while. Ever go fishing with him? In a cabin, maybe? Yeah, a couple times. Where? Down the Blanco River country, east of Kilman. Celia, that's Leo's wife, her dad left it to her. You know if they keep food and bedding in the cabin? No, I'm pretty sure they don't. They only went up there once in a while. Uh, anything else? And just one more thing. Yeah. How do we get to this cabin? I can show you on a map, but uh, 
I can tell you one thing. Celia sure wouldn't be up there by herself. That's just what we were thinking. Steelman showed us the approximate location of the cabin on a map. Early the following morning, we drove down there. There's smoke over there. That must be it. Let's park the car here and find out. According to Steelman's direction, that's just about where the cabin should be. Uh-huh. Oh, there it is. The clearing by the river. Let's go this way. No signs of life except that smoke. I don't see the car. Well, Benson's wife might have gone somewhere with it. I don't think he'd stick his nose out of these woods. Open up, Benson. Well, let's take a look in that window. Well, they've been here all right. Dish is still on the table. Let's see what's out back. It's great country for bass. I wouldn't mind... Fi- Hold it, Jason. What is it, Clay? Thought I saw someone move over there. Here, down by the river. Where? By that big boulder. You see? To the right of it. No one there now. Well, let's take a look. He was right about here. Yeah, a couple of stones kicked over here. Still damp where they were. I guess there must have been someone. I'll take a look around back of the boulder. All right. Jace? The string of fish here is still wet. There he goes! There he goes behind you, Jace! He's crossed the river! I'll get him! Benson, stop! Get away from me! Stop! Stop! You okay, Jace? Yeah. All right, Benson. On your feet. You, you went to a lot of, a lot of trouble for nothing, Ranger. I, I was going to give myself up anyhow. You were, huh? Sure, I was. I'd rather spend a couple of years in jail than go overseas. That's better than getting my head shot off, ain't it? In your case, Benson. I'm not so sure. And now, here are the results of the case you have just heard. Frank Dorsey was turned over to the Army authorities and received six months' confinement for being absent without leave. Leo Benson was found guilty of car theft and assault and battery. He was sentenced to five years at Huntsville Penitentiary. Upon his release from prison, he was returned to the Army and received two years for desertion and a dishonorable discharge. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. McRae will soon be seen in San Francisco Story, a Warner Brothers release. The cast included Tony Barrett, Peter Leeds, Sam Edwards, Herb Ellis, Vivi Jansen, and Janet Nolan. Technical advisor was Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers. This story was transcribed and adapted by Bernard Ederer and Robert A. White, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. Hal Gibney speaking. Next, enjoy 90 minutes of comedy and music on The Big Show on NBC. Well, we wound back the clock to April the 6th, 1952 on that one. That was Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. 
and the name of that episode was Troop Train. must have been rough to be a young man going to war. People of my generation went to Vietnam. I was never called up, but I knew many people that died. Well, several, probably three or four fellows that I went to school with that I know of that died in Vietnam. But in World War II, I remember my mother telling me how half the young guys that she knew in high school had died in World War II. Reminds me of a story of my Uncle Buck. My mom used to tell this, and I never heard it directly from Uncle Buck, but I heard him allude to it. My Uncle Buck was on a ship in the Pacific that was attacked by kamikaze divers. Now, very few men on the ship survived the attack. Buck and his good friend named Shorty were two of the fortunate ones. And they were both put in a military hospital with serious injuries after they were saved. They were fortunate, though, that they actually got to share a room, a hospital room, in this hospital someplace overseas. I don't remember where it was. It was a military hospital. Shorty was able to sit up in his bed just for an hour each afternoon. Apparently, the doctors wanted him to do that, from what I understand, to help drain the fluid from his lungs. But my Uncle Buck, unfortunately, his injuries forced him to remain flat on his back. I think he had some kind of a spinal injury, which apparently got okay later on. But also, his eyes had sustained some injury from the fire on the ship after the attack. And so the entire time he was in the hospital, for many weeks as I understand it, he had to have bandages wrapped around his eyes to let them heal. So the entire time he was in that hospital... He couldn't see anything, just darkness. Well, they were apparently in beds next to each other, and Buck and Shorty would talk for hours on end as they laid in that hospital bed healing. They spoke of their sweethearts back home. Of course they did. They talked about their families, the homes they were going home to. They talked about their military service, but not so much. Mostly they talked about places where they had been hunting and fishing, And they talked about places they wanted to see someday. They talked about their futures. Every afternoon, when Shorty would be made to sit up, he would pass the time by describing to my Uncle Buck all the things he could see outside the window next to his bed. Buck said he began to live for that one hour each afternoon when Shorty would describe the world that was outside his window and he would feel his spirit become enlivened by all of the activity and color of the world that was outside waiting for him, as Shorty described it. Shorty described how the window overlooked a beautiful park that had a large, lovely lake, and he would describe the ducks that were swimming in the lake and the swans. And then he talked about the children that were floating their little toy boats on the water. Young lovers would walk arm in arm down paths lined with flowers of every color on each side. Shorty said there was a fine view of a city, a skyline way out in the distance. Each day, as Shorty would describe all these beautiful things in exquisite detail, 
My Uncle Buck, his eyes bandaged, would just lay there on his back on the other side of the room and imagine the tranquil, beautiful scene that was so different from the hell that they had just left out there on the Pacific. Well, one warm afternoon, Shorty actually described a parade that was passing by. He talked about it in such vivid detail that my Uncle Buck said he could actually hear the music as the band passed by under the window. Well, the days went on. Days turned into weeks. Time passed. Then one morning, Buck was awakened by the day nurse who had arrived to bring water for their baths. It was she who found Shorty's lifeless body in the bed. He had died in his sleep peacefully sometime during the night. Both she and Buck cried because they had both come to love Shorty. Eventually, she called the hospital attendants who came and took Shorty's lifeless body away. After some time passed, a couple of days, Buck was due to get his bandages taken off his eyes. So he asked the nurse, he said, after the bandages come off this afternoon, could he please be moved into the bed next to the window? The nurse told him, there was no window in the room. Shorty's bed, just like Buck's, faced a blank wall. My mom used to say that Buck was bewildered and confused. Why, he asked. Why had Shorty lied about all the things he was seeing outside the window, the things that didn't even exist? Buck told the nurse all about all the beautiful things Shorty had told him that he had seen. Why would he lie about it? Why would he do that? The nurse, her eyes filled with tears, told Buck that in the attack, Shorty had been permanently blinded, and Shorty also knew that he did not have long to live. Probably, she said, Shorty just wanted to encourage you. How's that for a friend? friends still. Those three great friends, those three lovable rogues, those soldiers of fortune, Jack, Doc, and Reggie. And we're all the way up to chapter 13, episode 13 of the Million Dollar Curse on I Love a Mystery. And we remember last week they were all gathered in the house when Leslie Marks was suddenly shot by a mysterious shooter. Is he dead? What's going to happen? Here it comes, from December of 1949, I Love a Mystery, The Million Dollar Curse, Episode 13. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love a Mystery. 
Martin Morse adventure thriller, There's one thing we know. That Marks feller ain't gonna die. He's a long way from being dead. Close that door, will you, Reggie? It's quiet. But now that we got the library to ourselves, let's give this business a quick going over. I'd say it was about time. Yeah, I don't know which end I'm standing on half the time. Now, before we get into that, what about that torpedo? The feller it shot Marks? Yeah. Well, he got clean away in the fog. I know that. Either of you get a good look at him? In this weather? Well, feller, the fog's so thick outside. How about it... you, Reggie? Mm, no, not a bit of it. Right on top of the shooting, I looked out the window and saw the ballet blighter going down the fire escape. Now, if I'd had a gun, I could have potted him easily. Didn't see his face at all? No. Mm -hmm. Well, that shooting brought to light a couple of interesting possibilities. Yeah? Yeah, do you recall what Marx was saying just before he was shot? That's quite. You just mentioned Donald Robert Lincoln as a possible leader of the mob that's doing this dirty work. Oh, yeah. And Marx, he just remembered something. Something about a deal between old Moneybags Lincoln and Sonny's papa just before he is shot. Exactly. Could it be that the gunman shot at that particular moment to prevent Marx from finishing what he was about to tell us? Hey! But if that's true then that would just about prove that Lincoln is the chap they were looking for. Yeah, gunplay to cover up something in Lincoln's past. That's one of the possibilities. Another one is the fact that Leslie Marks was only shot in the shoulder. Huh? What does that prove? Well, doesn't it seem a bit odd that Marks wasn't shot dead? Marks was sitting less than 15 feet from the window. I could have done a better job than that with a slingshot. No, fella, I don't think that proves anything. If all the bad shots in this world was laid end to end, besides that, he was standing on a fire escape and anxious to make his getaway. No, I don't think bad shooting proves a thing. Well, maybe you're right, but uh, listen to my theory anyway. Well, spill it. Well, this is built on the assumption that Leslie Marks is the mob leader. I say, and, and one of his own men shot him? Yeah. You mean they're turning on him? No, it was a plant. We've talked so much about Marks being close to Sonny and not being bothered, he had to do something about it. So what does he do? He plants one of his men on the fire escape with instructions to shoot him in our presence. Oh, Joe, what a chance he was taking. Not if he knew his gunman. Some of these torpedoes can shoot the eyes off a fly. Oh, boy, it'd sure be an alibi hard to beat. Exactly. We saw him shot down. So naturally, he'd be the last man in the world we'd suspect as the gang leader. So now we've got our choice between Lincoln and Marx. Yeah, and I put my money on Lincoln. You don't like my theory about Marx, huh? Well, fella, if you want the truth, I don't. Well, why not? Well, I don't know. I just don't. Sounds just a little bit like something they'd think up in the movies. Mm -hmm. You get what I mean? Yeah. Well, maybe you're right. I'd still like to know why the gunman didn't kill Marx at 15 feet, though. Mm, that's quite. Or why didn't he step into the room and finish up the job proper? None of us was armed. I mean to say, he took a ballet chance making his escape down four stories on the fire escape. Well, uh, don't get me wrong. I still think Marx is a good possibility. And now there's something else that's stuck out in our conversation over there like a sore thumb. Either of you get it? I guess I slipped up. Reggie? Yes, well, as a matter of fact, there was one thing. Yes, I thought you'd get it, because you weren't with Doc and me when we were taken to the brownstone house. Well, I still don't get what you're talking about. Well, you told the story of how the two gunmen held us up and took us down to the basement of the house. Then you said, all of a sudden, bam, somebody shot him with a sawed-off shotgun. Yeah, I remember. Well, Phil asked, was there someone else in the basement? And you said, no, the shot came from the basement window. Yeah. Well... Well, I guess I'm just plain dumb. But don't you see, Doc, the subject was dropped right there. Not a single person in the room asked who fired the shotgun. And all the time, that was the, th the thing I wanted to know most. I wasn't there, so naturally I wanted to know if you and Jack knew who fired the shots. Oh, yeah, sure. But don't you see? It was just as though everyone in the room knew who shot those two gunmen. Yeah. 
Why, even Sonny didn't ask. Not only Sonny, but Phil Terry and Leslie Marks. And Phil's brother, Arthur. Well, there was a good reason why Arthur wasn't curious. There was? Yes, we haven't had a chance to tell you before, Reggie, but... Arthur wasn't curious because it was Arthur who did the shooting. Oh, look here, you're sure? Oh, we practically caught him red-handed. But will you tell me why Phil and Marks and Sonny didn't ask? You, you think they knew? Well, they knew something. But looky, you trust Sonny, don't you? Well, naturally. Well, couldn't we just get a hold of Sonny and get it out of her? Well, we might try. I don't like it. You don't like what? Why should Sonny be keeping anything from us? Why should she be keeping a secret with Marks and Phil Terry? Well, of course, she has known Marks and Terry much longer than she's known us. Yeah, but we're the ones who are trying to get her out of this mess. Yeah, it does kind of make you wonder, don't it? When are we going to be able to see Marks? Well, the doctor said not before tomorrow, shock and loss of Tom, hey, we ain't expecting no telephone calls, are we, Jack? Hello? Yeah? No, this is Reggie York. Yes, he's here. I say, Donald, drop... Hey, Reg. Be quiet. Yeah. Yes, I'll tell him. Right up. What's the matter, Reggie? That was Donald Robert Lincoln. He wants us to come right out to his home. Well, ain't he got a nice disposition. And he said to hurry. It was important. First he has Jack hit over the head and throwed in a calaboose, and now he invites him out to his home. Well, come on, we're wasting time. Y- you mean we're going? Well, certainly we're going. Grab your hats. Well, shouldn't we leave a note for Sonny? Well, she's over at the hospital with Phil, isn't she? Yes, quiet. Well, we needn't bother. We'll have to use her car, though. Yes, down in front. All right, we're all set. Well, what do you suppose this Lincoln feller's got on his mind? It'll be interesting to see. No, I, I still think we ought to leave word where we're going. Why? Oh, I, I smell a trap. Well, what of it? Yeah, we don't want the Marines galloping up to get us out of a hole. Mm, right on. Here she is. You want me to drive, Jack? All right. Oh, here, just a minute. What's the matter? Well, let's make sure there aren't any torpedoes planted in the back seat on this ride. Hey, they wouldn't have the gall to try the same trick twice. I guess you're right. Up in the back, Reggie. That's right. Go ahead, slide it up the little Doc. Yeah. We're not going to a fire now, so take it easy. <laughs> Just a backseat driver at heart. Get out! Get out of the car! Man, oh man. Oh, it blowed right up in my hands. You, you all right, Doc? Uh, anybody hurt? Don't tell me the automobile ain't dangerous. Oh, never mind that. Where's Reggie? <coughs> I say, here I am. Are you all right? Oh, I think so. I got out of the car, but the explosion knocked me flat. Will you tell me what done that? Uh, certainly, I'll tell you. One of our playful friends put a load of dynamite under the hood and wired it to the ignition. When you put your foot on the starter, it exploded. Well, fella, we're having more fun than anybody. You think so? Well, I say, Jack, is this the reason Donald Robert Lincoln was so anxious for us to come and see him? Hey, you mean he's the one who had that exterminating powder put under the hood? Well, that's what we want to find out. Come on. Where are we heading for now? Across the park to the hospital. But hadn't we ought to get out to Lincoln? Well, this way's shortest. Well, I said hadn't we ought to get... No. Okay, fella, you're the doctor. You coming, Reggie? It's quiet. Crowd's beginning to gather back at the wreck. Yeah. If we're going to do much more of this 100-yard dash stuff, I'm going to get me a pair of running breeches. Across the street. Okay. Now, come on to the elevator. We're going up to Phil Terry's room? No. You mean we're going to Leslie Mark's room? Yeah. Get in. Fourth floor, please. Put it 
the doctor said Marx wasn't to be disturbed. I still say Marx was too slightly hurt for all the fuss that was made. You sure are set on making Marx the villain, fella. All right, come on. You know which room Marx was taken to? Yeah, 432. Now, this is it here. Well, now we're here, what? Not a word. I want to see how quietly I can open this door. Uh-huh. Got it? Uh-huh. You can open it, crack it. Keep your ears tucked. The situation is more desperate than it's ever been. He's talking on the phone. Shut up. That's what I've been telling you all along. We've got to fight fire with fire. We've got our backs right up against the wall, and there's only... (laughs) Doc, you fool. Who is that? Who is that in the hall? I I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. A lot of good that does. Who is that out in the hall? Come on. Hello, Max. How's the shoulder? Uh, What's this? What are you doing here? We just came up to see how the latest victim of the Richard Curse is doing. You were standing outside my door listening. Were we? That's pretty dirty politics. Got a fever, there's no telling what a man might say when he's light in the head. Oh, oh, you're light in the head. A bullet in your shoulder's nothing to take lightly. I, I've caught myself talking to myself several times. You were talking to yourself, huh? What do you mean? It sounded to us as though you were talking over the telephone. That's ridiculous. I, I haven't the strength to lift a telephone receiver. You uh, know what happened to us just now? Will you go away and leave me alone? I'm in no condition to have visitors. Someone put dynamite under the hood of Sonny's car. We started to take a ride in it, and it blew up. How did you escape? We saw it coming, rolled out of the car. Max, why are you pretending to be so much worse off than you really are? I'm not pretending. Yes, you are. Well, Packard, I'm scared. Scared? So scared, I'm going to stay right here in this hospital with this superficial wound until this mob of gunmen is wiped out. Well, spank me for a baby. Yell. I've been a target for a gunman once. That's plenty. Mind if I use your phone? No, go ahead. Outside, please. Who were you uh, talking to on the phone? I wasn't. Uh-huh. Hello? Donald Robert Lincoln Residence? This is the police department. I want to talk to Mr. Lincoln at once. Thank you. Why are you calling Lincoln? I'd rather know what you were about to tell us about Lincoln when you were shot. Well, I've changed my mind about that. You're not going to talk? No. Oh, uh, hello, Lincoln. This is Jack Packard. That's it, the man you had slugged and thrown into jail. I just wanted to tell you that someone just blew up our car so we won't be able to keep our appointment with you. What's that? The appointment you called about ten minutes ago and you... Oh, you didn't call. Uh Uh-huh. Can you prove that? I see. Thank you. Marks Lincoln didn't call us. He's got an ironclad alibi. What about it? Just this. If Donald Robert Lincoln isn't the man we're after, then it's got to be you. transcribed adventures of Jack, Doc, and Reggie will come to you tomorrow at this same hour. I Love a Mystery, written and directed by Carlton E. Morse, comes to you Monday through Friday, featuring Russell Thorson as Jack, 
Jim Bowles is Doc Long, and Tony Randall is Reggie York. Frank McCarthy speaking. This program came from New York. Oh, buddy. Is it going to be Lincoln? Is it going to be Marx? Is it going to be both of them? Or is there still a surprise waiting for us out there? Come back next time, and we're going to hear episode 14. It's winding down, folks, of the Million Dollar Curse on I Love a Mystery. Drop your gun or I'll fire and I'll drop it! right it's time for Gunsmoke everybody have a treat for you tonight this one was originally aired on March the 28th in 1953 this one is a little light and a little tragic too and it's one of those that tries to explain uh, how history uh, really did cross through Dodge City Kansas back in the 1870s because this show was going to give us some um, appreciation of the development of the quarter horse. In fact, that's the name of the episode, quarter horse. It's interesting, too, it uh, mentions in here how the cavalry was very, very proud of their horses, and apparently they had the finest horses any place in the country. And I've heard that from other historians and also on other shows. So it sort of plays on that. It features, besides the regular cast, it has Lawrence Dopkin, Joe Carnes, Harry Bartell, Johnny McGovern, and Lou Krugman. It's a pretty good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. So here you go. From March the 28th, 1953, here's Gunsmoke and Quarter Horse. City and in the territory on West. There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
<laughs> Bartender. Bartender, set out another bottle of that rye whiskey. <laughs> now, look, Mr. Thatcher, you just tell us once more about this stud colt you got, huh? He's a good colt, Mr. Butler. Uh huh. And a running colt, you tell me. He can run some. Some? About the fastest thing in these parts, I hear tell. <laughs> You're making fun of me, Mr. Butler. You and your friends. Oh, I don't know why you should think that. Out here in Dodge, we're all interested in good horse flesh. Especially when it's some sort of a fancy new breed. Quarter horse, you call it, huh? If you don't mind, I'll be going now. Oh, no! <laughs> Not yet, Mr. Thatcher. We'd all like to hear some more about your stock, wouldn't we, boys? Well, sure. Mr. Butler, my grandson's waiting for me outside. Hey, Thatcher, tell us again about this little old sawed-off colt of yours. I understand these new type horses you raise have rumps so high they look like they're going downhill. <laughs> Hank, it ain't polite to call this colt that way. Besides, it ain't that he's sawed off. It's just that he's got no back. His withers run right into his crew. <laughs> he, he's quarter horse and three quarters what else? <laughs> I guess this is all fun for you, but you got no call. Oh, now, boys, I do believe Thatcher's upset. Here, let me pour you another drink. No, thanks. I'll be going. No, that just ain't sociable. Here, have a drink. I said no, Mr. Butler. Drink it. I'm old enough to be your father, Mr. Butler, and I'll drink when I want and with who I want. You ornery old goat, I'll pour this whole stinking bottle down your throat. All right, you Butler, don't... that's enough. Evening, Marshal Diller. Mr. Thatcher, your grandson's waiting outside in the buckboard. You better get along home, huh? Yeah. Thank you, Marshal. Thank you very much. <laughs> Old fool. Bragging on the quarter coat he's so proud of. Well, buy a drink, Marshal. No, thank you. You just missed the fun. We were having old Thatcher on about his stock. He's not young anymore, Mr. Butler. But let me warn you about something. Sometime you may push him too far. Oh, we were just hurrahing him a bit. We didn't do any harm. Thatcher and his grandson are new out here. You find your fun somewhere else, Butler. Why don't you leave him be? Matt? You know, when you torment an old man like that, it makes you cheap. Real cheap. Matt? Sit down, Matt. You could uh, buy me a drink if you wanted. Yeah, sure. Uh, Sam, send over a drink for Miss Kitty, will you? I have to drink alone? Usually my partner drinks with me. Uh, not tonight, Kitty. You mad about something, Matt? No, no. Tired, maybe. I uh, saw you talking with Ed Butler over there. He say something to set you off? Yeah, maybe that's it, Kitty. I don't know. Oh, thanks, Sam. There you are. That was old man Thatcher over there, wasn't it? Yeah. Whenever he comes in here, Butler gets him started on this new breed of horse Thatcher's got. Is that what it was tonight? Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, happens every time he comes to town, Matt. Oh, he's an old man, Kitty. There's no way he can fight back. Well, Matt, it's not your worry. You can't keep Butler off his back any more than I can. Yeah, they're like vultures circling a buffalo that's hurt, just waiting for the time when he finally goes down so they can settle for a meal. Matt. I'm thirsty after all. I think I will have that drink, Kitty. Sam! Sam! <laughs> 
Chester, if you'd run these papers over to Mr. Hightower. Yes, you? sir, Mr. Dillon. Hmm. Another wanted poster on Johnny Ringo. Mr. Hightower's waiting for him, Chester. Yes, sir, but Johnny Ringo is out in Arizona. He never comes back this way. Chester. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon, I'll take him right over. Oh, uh, is there anything for me to do while I'm down at the other end of the plaza? No, nothing I know of. Well, then I'll just wait around down at the depot then, Mr. Dillon, if it's all right. <laughs> the morning train's due in from St. Louis in half hour. <laughs> all right, Chester. Marshal Dillon? Oh, good morning, Mr. Thatcher. Got a minute to spare? I have a favor to ask. Yeah, certainly. Come on in. Uh, Mr. Hightower's waiting, Chester. Yes, sir. Well, sit down, Mr. Thatcher. Uh, first of all, Marshal, I, uh, I want to thank you for what you did last night over at the Texas Trail. Oh, Butler and his crowd just had too much to drink, I saw. Well, maybe I did, too. Once I started hard to stop, then I get to arguing. I'm too old to argue that way. Well, maybe you shouldn't go to the Texas Trail. Seems every time you do, Butler takes his pleasure riding you. Well, it's that I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, well, go on. Well, Ed Butler's always said he's got the best horses around Dodge or anywhere else. Well, maybe he does, Mr. Thatcher. Mine are better. Well, I don't know anything about your stock. Marshal Dillon, Ed Butler's having breakfast right down the street at the Dodge house. I want you to walk down there with me. Now, look, Mr. Thatcher, I don't want to mix up in any personal problems between you and Ed. Well, this ain't completely personal, Marshal. Oh, save maybe in a way. I come to you because I figure you're the one man in Dodge with nothing to gain. And you'll be honest. I got something here. I want you to take it. No? It's the, the deed to my ranch. Why are you giving it to me? I want you to hold that deed and come with me to meet Ed Butler. I'm going to challenge him to a grudge race. My quarter coat against the best horse he's got. You mean you're putting up your ranch on this race? Yes, sir. And I want you to hold the stakes. Look, it's, uh... It's no business of mine, but you could lose, you know. No, sir. I don't figure I can. Mr. Thatcher, you and your grandson have been over here from Missouri better than a year now. Now, you know how these people are, men such as Butler and the rest. There's nothing more fun than ragging somebody. Somebody who fights back but isn't too strong. You're trying to lecture me, Marshal. Well, it's because you're new here that they're making it rough for you. You just don't know the ways yet. It's no good, Marshal. Look, Mr. Thatcher, you're putting up everything you got on this race. Now, what makes you so sure you can win? What's so special about this stud colt that you've raised? Uh, he's a little special in most everywhere, Marshal. His daddy was cold deck, and his mother was the best mare in Missouri. Oh, I know why Butler and the others laugh at him. Compared to some horses, he looks like a bulldog beside a greyhound. His head's short, and he carries it too low. He's built too close to the ground with bulging muscles and short legs. But I'll tell you one thing. He's just gone four, and as he stands now, he's the most horse west of St. Louis. And there are some like him in Texas now. And if I have any say, one day quarter horses will be all over the west. When a man gets to be my age, Marshal Dillon, he's got to stand behind what he believes. And I believe in this little horse. He's sleepy and he's quiet, but he can unwind like lightning. 
Yeah, you've got a feel for horses, haven't you, Mr. Thatcher? It ain't much of a man talks one way and thinks another. Uh, will you walk with me down to the Dodge house? Yeah. Yeah, I'll walk with you. Well, Butler, that's it. And Mr. Thatcher here has asked that I hold the purse. Couldn't ask for anything more fair than that. Then you race? Why, sure, I'll race. You name the day and the time, I'll be there. This afternoon, then, across the river. Good enough for me. All right, we'll make it at 2 o'clock. I'll have Doc Adams there to look over the horses. They'll both be sound or there'll be no race. Is that agreed? That's sure. good. And they'll run the way they are, shot or not shot. Mr. Thatcher has suggested a distance of 400 yards. That's right. 400 yards? <laughs> Hardly worth running, but I'm willing. All right, since you accept the match, Mr. Butler, you'd best to come to some agreement on the bet with Mr. Thatcher here. What do you figure your ranch with everything on it's worth, Thatcher? Oh, maybe $4,000? That's high for just five, 600 acres, a few outbuildings, and a couple of old milk cows. I'll put 4000 against your deed. Marshal, I'll give it to Hank here. He'll bring it over to your office. All right, if you'll have it there by noon. Then. Uh, how about a side bet for me, Mr. Thatcher? Well, I don't know. Hank? Hey, yeah, Jim, what? I seen a quarter mare named Bell run down Galveston last July. And I seen Thatcher's coat run a little. I'll take your side bet. Name it. 400 Double that, it's a bet. Good enough. Then it's 800 and I'll bet the quarter coat. Well, now, Mr. Thatcher, seems Jim Bales here don't have no more sense than you. Well, at least you're not alone. All right, then. Everything's settled. Just one last thing, gentlemen. This is going to be a fair race. Well, no need to worry, Marshal. Ain't no reason to press my luck. Not against a jug-headed Cayuse like Thatcher. Why, you know... All right, that's enough now. Come on, Mr. Thatcher. Let's get out of here, huh? Now, why don't you go on home? I'm going back to the office. You... You think I'm just an old fool, don't you? Yes, Mr. Thatcher, I do. You're headstrong and you're stubborn. But, uh, good luck to you this afternoon. You know, Matt, there have been horse races in Dodge before lots of times. But I've never seen one where so many people got concerned. Why, the whole town's in on it. Everybody's betting one way or another. Yeah, I know. And I don't like it, Doc. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? Oh, people like an excuse to celebrate. And this afternoon, there'll be whiskey running to help them. Whiskey and horses don't mix when there's money changing hands. Matt, uh, are you worried about Thatcher putting his ranch up on the race? He could lose his ranch, Doc. Oh, no. Well, doesn't he have a chance? No, I don't know. I don't think so. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what is it, Chester? Oh, hello, Doc. Oh, Chester. Huh? Say, I, I was down at the bridge a few minutes back watching for Butler to take his horse across. I wanted to know which one he was running. Well? And I didn't recognize a horse. I thought probably it'd be his sorrel, but it wasn't. It was a horse I ain't never seen before. Well, what horse is it, Chester? Ed Butler ain't putting in no cow pony, Mr. Dillon. He's running a thoroughbred. 
Well, he's got no chance at all now. Uh, um, is that it, man? Mr. Thatcher's betting everything he has on this quarter horse of his to beat a cow pony. Now Butler's running a pure racing horse, a thoroughbred. Well, it's past one. Let's get over to the other side of the river. Looks like half a dodge is over here, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, maybe more than that. Uh, Chester, see if you can find Ed Butler and old man Thatcher and bring him over here, huh? Yes, sir. Hi, Matt. Oh, hi, Kitty. I haven't seen this many people in one spot since last year when Eddie Foy played the opera house. It's kind of a fiesta, isn't it? Yeah, in a way. <laughs> Nobody would think it to look at you. Uh, where's the finish line going to be, Matt? I want to see good. Uh, back up there about 50 yards. Oh, well, I'll go up and find me a place. Yeah, okay. Matt! Oh, Matt! Yeah, Doc? Oh, 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 here you are. Well, I've looked over both horses. They seem sound enough. Good. I don't get much call to check horses anymore. <laughs> Mostly it's babies these days. <laughs> or maybe a gunshot wound. Doc, uh, who's going to ride for Butler and Thatcher, you know? Uh, Butler's got Hank Thomas, and I think Thatcher's a grandson's going to ride for him. Well, I hope the boy knows what he's doing. I think he does, Matt. He's got spurs and a switch. Well, that'll help. <laughs> uh, see, Matt, Thatcher's getting all liquored up. Well, that's his affair, isn't it, Doc? Yeah, but he's got a skin full. <laughs> you know how edgy he gets when he's that way? I sent Chester for him. He should be long anyway. The whole crowd seems kind of excited and nervy. <laughs> Maybe I'll pick up some business out there, huh? <laughs> that's not funny, Doc. I'm sorry, man. Mr. Dillon, I found Mr. Butler. Good afternoon, but I couldn't... Marshal. Where's Thatcher? Oh, I wouldn't know. Last time I saw him, he was pouring down some red eye, preparing for the loss, maybe. Well, Mr. Hightower and Doc here are going to act as judges along with me. Chester will fire the starting gun. <laughs> it's all terrible fancy for just a whim of that old fool Thatcher's, ain't it? Ah, you may call me an old fool now, Butler, but it'll be different after the race. You're drunk, Thatcher. Any law say a man can't win a horse race if he's drunk? Well, what's the matter? Need courage to bring your horse out here to the flat? All right, stay out of it, Butler. Mr. Thatcher, is your grandson all set? Yes, sir, Marshal. How about you, Butler? We're ready. All right, then tell your riders to take their horses down to those two buckboards down there. That'll be the starting line. You right. thought you'd fool me, didn't you, Butler? Bringing out that thoroughbred to run. Well, I don't care. I can still beat you. <laughs> You're talking an awful lot for a man I ain't worried. Don't ride me, Butler. I've had enough Oh, listen you. to me, Thatcher. I put up with your chatter long enough. Why are you... All right, that's enough. I'll you just see you. to it you win, Thatcher. I'll have your ranch and that colt you think so much of. Oh. Oh. What did you say? You heard me. Just make sure you win, if you can. Oh, what did you say about my coat? What did you mean? Well, if my bay mare wins, I get your ranch and everything on it. That includes your coat. No. No, that isn't right. Well, what about it, Marshal? You're holding the purse and drawing up all the rules, it seems. What about it? Butler's right, Mr. Thatcher. That's the way you made the bet. You're no good, Butler. No good at all. I didn't make the bet. All right, both of you move your horses down to the starting line. It's two o'clock. Hank, move that bay down those markers. Well, go on down, Mr. Thatcher. Uh, yes, sir, yes. Sir. Chester, you walk with him. 
Give them five minutes, and then you can start them off. Five minutes. Yes, Mr. Dillon. Well, I was right. Wasn't it, Mac? Patch has been drinking some. Yeah. Uh, come on, Doc. We'll look up Mr. Hyde's house. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, Matt, this is like a holiday. It's like a fiesta. Yeah, that's what Kitty said. Oh, she's out here, too. Huh? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess maybe outside of Mr. Thatcher, the only person not enjoying himself is you. <laughs> Do I have to enjoy it, Doc? <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Watch out. Come on, Doc. Run. <laughs> Mr. Dillon, it's Mr. Thatcher. He's been shot. Shot? Where is he, Chester? Right over there, laying on the ground. His boy's with you. All right. Let me through. Let me through. I'm the doctor. Let me through here. Oh, here now, just a minute. No, it's, it's not, not used looking, Doc. I know where it is. He's bad, Matt. What happened, Mr. Thatcher? And now I won't see him run. Mr. Thatcher, listen to me. Now I'll, I'll never know for sure if my colt could... What happened, Chester? You were with him? Mr. Dillon, I don't know. I, I was walking along, not thinking anything particular. Thatcher and Butler was up ahead, and then Thatcher drew on Butler, tried to shoot him. I shot him, if that's what you want to know, Marshal. It was self-defense, Marshal. That's what it was, Mr. Dillon. But still, he was drunk. Man, you saw that for yourself. And he tried to kill me. Uh, that's right, Marshal. What it says is right. That's the way it happened, Mr. Dillon. Suppose now that... Uh, that forfeits the race, don't it, Marshal? Doc, will you take care of... Uh, get him into a wagon and back into town. I'll see you back there. Oh, sure, Matt. <clears throat> oh, you mean, uh, will you give me a hand here? Uh, but what about that forfeit, Marshal? You just can't wait till a man's cold before you want his property, can you? Oh, it ain't that, Dillon. The race just ain't a... forfeit. I'll run it. That's huh? a Thatcher boy, Mr. Dillon. Come here, son. What's your name? I'm Lonnie Thatcher. I'm going to ride Granddaddy's colt. Well, now, look, maybe... Uh... I'm kin. Granddaddy was queer, kind of, but what he said about this colt is right. And I'm riding him in the race. Yeah, but with what's happened, Lonnie, maybe we should put the race off. We'll, we'll run it, sure, but not today, not now. I'll agree to put it off. Granddaddy'd like it best this way. We'll race. Gracious. There ain't a tear in his eye, Mr. Dillon. All right, if that's the way you want it. It's what I want. All right, then get on down to the starting line, both of you. Go on, Chester. Yes, sir. I was looking for you, Marshal. Are we going to have the race? Yeah. That's a good thing, you know. There'd be a lot of people disappointed if it didn't come off. And we wouldn't want that, would we, Mr. Hightower? How's that? The killing's hardly enough to make the day complete, is it? Now, Marshal, I didn't mean anything wrong. It's just... Uh... Yeah, sure, sure. Just forget it. Uh, move on up to the finish line. I'll get a couple of these riders to clear the lane. All right, Mr. Dillon. Uh, you, you there. Would you ride down toward the start and make everybody move back and clear a lane, huh? All right, everybody. Well, will you get back, please? 
Oh, would you clear the lane, please? Please. Please move back. All you people there. Move back. That's it. Well, it's time, Marshal. Yeah. What's Chester waiting for? It looks like the colt's acting up. I've never seen two different breed of horses run against each other. Well, that colt's kicking up a storm. Could make a good column for the paper, maybe. Come on, come on. Get a hold of him, kid. Don't you think it'd make a good column, Marshal? Oh. Oh, there he goes! Hey, there they go, Matt. Come on! Come on! Come on! I guess there was no question about it, Matt. Yeah, it was the colt by half a length. A quarter horse beat a thoroughbred. Now that is something to see. And it's a new kind of horse in these parts. Well, Marshal, you should be happy. Uh, because the boy won? And for that I am happy, yeah. Well, well, I got no complaint, Marshal. It was fair and square. If you gentlemen will excuse me, I want to get back to the office. Sure, Mr. Hightower. Um, Marshal. Yeah? Look, Marshal, about what happened this afternoon, about Thatcher, I didn't really hold anything against the old man. I'm sorry it happened. I told you sometime you'd push him too far. Now he's dead. Well, after all, Marshal, he drew first. Oh, I'm not saying you're a murderer, butler, but you're small inside the only feeling I got for you is contempt. You're responsible for the death of that man today, and yet there's nothing I can do about it. You're blaming me for everything? Ah, it's not you. I guess it's just people. Good day, Mr. Butler. Matt. I was looking for you. Where's Lonnie Thatcher, Kitty? Standing over there by his horse, crying. Maybe you ought to talk to him, Matt. I'm going to. Well, he, he doesn't want to see anybody. Some of us tried talking to him, and he, he just walked away. I'll see you later. Yeah. Hey, boy, you better walk that horse. Any horseman who knows he shouldn't be standing around after running like that. Yes, sir. All right. I, uh... I got $4,000 for you, Lonnie. You want to take it, or shall I give it to Banker Hodgson? I'll take it. It might be better to leave it in the bank. I said I'll take it. All right, son. Here. Thank you, Marshal Dillon. Lonnie, you, uh, you got any plans? Yes, sir. What? I'm going to do what my granddaddy always wanted to do. I'm going to raise horses like this stud colt. I'm going to breed them. Where are you going to do this? At your granddaddy's place? Yes, sir. That's a big spread for a boy to handle alone. I'll manage. How old are you, Lonnie? I got $4,000 to help me. I'm old enough to know my mind. Yeah, I guess you are. 
And you know something else, Marshal? I understand these quarter horses, just like my granddaddy did. When men in these parts get sense enough to be interested in new stock and want good mounts with a fine way of going, they can come and buy them from me, Lonnie Thatcher. Yeah. And if I'm any judge, that may not take too long, Lonnie. Thanks, Marshal Dillon. The boy's eyes were glistening as he turned and walked away, leading his stud cold home. Most of the crowd had left. They'd gone back into Dodge to rerun the race over a drink or two and talk about this new kind of horse, this stocky, heavy-muscled, quick-as-lightning quarter horse that had come to Dodge. And now it was getting darker because of some clouds building up over in the northwest. And when I looked again, the boy and his horse had almost vanished from sight. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The special music is composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin and Joe Carnes, with Johnny McGovern, Harry Bartell, and Lou Krugman. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tomorrow night, that great thespian Jack Benny attempts to show Tyrone Power how it should have been done, playing the power role in his own version of the movie Mississippi Gambler. Also tomorrow night, don't miss the latest laughs with Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks of Mary Madcap Madison High. George Walsh speaking, and remember, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy open fire on your funny bone Sunday nights on the CBS Radio Network. episode was Quarter Horse, and it was originally heard on a Saturday night way back in 1953 on March the 28th on CBS. And next week we will hear the following episode of Gunsmoke, the one that was originally aired exactly one week later in 1953. So you all come back. Okay, let's close up the vault for another week.
that's going to kick things in the head for this week, everybody. So glad you stopped by. If you um, are wondering about what I'm going to be doing this weekend, we're getting another inch of snow. That's right, yes. Did we have 80 degrees earlier in the week? Well, yes, we did. Are you sure it's going to snow tomorrow? Oh, yeah, because it snowed this morning. Although it didn't stick. Well, it stuck all the leaves, all the cars, everything was covered with snow. But the... um, the grass and everything, but the roads, uh, it was warm enough that the roads, the snow didn't stick to the road, so that was nice. But tomorrow night, we're supposed to get an inch. So you think about us, you think about us. It is spring, you know. Well, anyway, I want to thank you for stopping by. We're going to come back next week. We're going to do it all over again. We'll be introducing a new show next week. We've got the last two episodes in the month of April of I Love a Mystery, The Million Dollar Curse. So next week, you're going to hear episode 14. And we'll hear the gun smoke from the first part of April of 1953. This is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by tonight. And I am so glad you met me. We'll see you next week, everybody. And since we were talking about friends, let's go out with a song about friends.